I wanted to uh, focus you for a few moments just on that idea of, of welcoming somebody. What do you do to welcome somebody, let's say, into your home? Well, you extend an invitation, of course, but then you start to work to get ready. And you start in advance, right? Uh, probably cleaning the house, uh, figuring out what it is you're going to do when they arrive. Um, maybe if there's a meal involved, then you do all the shopping, all the preparation, setting up the nice table. You want everything to look just really nice for them. Of course, you still have to actually welcome them when they come, right? And so you open the door, you're going to just be very cheerful and welcoming them in, offering them a place to sit, maybe something to uh, nibble on or something to drink, and, and just relax, and you tell them just you know, relax and feel comfortable, and you set out to have a good time. Now, if the occasion for which you invited them over was something special about them, maybe a birthday or anniversary or, or acknowledging something special that they did, you also look in some way to honor them. Well, that's what Palm Sunday is all about. It's about welcoming. But in this case, it's about welcoming Jesus. And so I want to take you back and, and look at that gospel account we heard a few minutes ago and look at the different ways in which Jesus was welcomed and then ask ourselves, how would you welcome Jesus? Now, we recall, of course, that Palm Sunday is the start of Holy Week. It's when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem knowing full well what is going to happen how he would be rejected by the very people he came into this world to serve and to save, and how he would just not be rejected, but also killed. That doesn't, of course, stop him from coming in, but what's interesting to see is what is the reaction of the people as he is coming. Of course, the first thing we hear about is all these people lining up on the street, waving the palm branches, singing or shouting out the scriptures to him. They're welcoming him with some cheers. And so that would be the first question for us. Would you welcome Jesus as they did? That is, with cheers. And I'm sure your answer would be, yes, of course we would. And I'll follow up with, why? When Luke was recording this event, he tells us why the people were welcoming Jesus so joyfully. Listen to what he said. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. You see what they were focused on and why they were cheering Jesus? Because he was bringing them some hope. All the miracles that they had seen. Now, I don't know if they were eyewitnesses to all these things or maybe if they had just heard about some of the things. But just think of some of the things that they would have seen him do. Just a few days before this, he just healed two blind men. Other times they probably have heard or seen that he healed people who had leprosy or other diseases or ailments, people who were lame, more blind people. 
They also had heard probably about how he had fed more than 5,000 people with just a little bit of lunch. And just a week before this, how he had raised Lazarus from the dead. Wow, they had seen and they had heard a lot of spectacular things. So you could understand why now they are all excited that Jesus is coming. Because they think this guy can do anything. And they were right. Jesus could do anything. But what they were looking for was the anything they wanted. In other words, they were looking for Jesus to come and, and maybe bring an end to all this oppression they were under by the government, the Roman government. Maybe they were looking for healing in their community. Maybe there was a lot of sick and sick people, a lot of people with ailments, and they knew Jesus could take care of it. Maybe they were thinking he could make Jerusalem a better city. Maybe they thought he could raise the economy up and, and get rid of some of the poverty. Boy, it sounds like he could have had a pretty good political campaign, huh? Yeah, Jesus could have done all of those things. But what really brings them hope is the fact that Jesus is God. God who is coming to be with them. And Jesus came to give more than just a better life here. Jesus came for another purpose. And, and that's perhaps why their hope would get disappointed. But their own words remind them, or should have reminded them, of what Jesus came to do. They said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. That means to do God's work. Praise, or peace rather, in heaven and glory in the highest. We're familiar from the other gospel accounts too. Another word that they shouted out. Hosanna! which means, Lord, save us. And that's why they could cheer, because Jesus came to save them. Now, Jesus had promised to bring them life, abundant life, more than just a good life here. It was going to be an eternal life. And Jesus came to bring them that very thing by coming into this world. Jesus was born as a human being. You remember that first welcome that the angels gave him when he came? They were in the sky singing, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. And now the people are singing, peace in heaven and glory to the highest. Peace, that's what Jesus was all about. That's why he came into this world to bring peace from heaven to earth. You see, there, there was no peace between God and man. We were separated from God because of our sins. And Jesus came to deal with that. He came as a human being to live through life and to live under all of the commandments of God that you and I have to live under. You know those commandments that tell us not to gossip, not to lie, not to use foul language, not to have impure thoughts or desires, not to complain, not to criticize, not to put people down. Yeah, all those things that we find ourselves doing so often. 
it's not just those big sins like murder and adultery and stealing that separate us from God. It's all those daily things too. Jesus came to live under all of those commandments and to do so without any sin, without ever breaking them. So that there would be an obedience that could be given to us so we could stand before God holy. We have that through faith in him. But Jesus also came for another purpose, and that's what Palm Sunday is about. He came into Jerusalem to go all the way to the cross, to pay the penalty that we earned with our sins, but that would be exacted on him so we would be free from it. St. Paul described it this way. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. Now that's a reason to cheer, isn't it? So do you welcome Jesus because of that? Do you welcome him that way? You know, it must have been a pretty exciting day when Jesus came into Jerusalem, right? To think of the streets lined with people shouting for him, waving their palm branches, throwing their coats down on the road. There's a line in one of our Christmas carols that says, Oh, that we were there. And we could say that about Palm Sunday, too. Oh, that we would have been there. It would have been so good. But we weren't. And Jesus doesn't come here like that. He doesn't come down Santa Teresa Boulevard with a, in a big parade. But he does come to us. And he comes to us bringing us that peace. He tells us he comes to us in his word. He comes to us in the sacraments. And when he comes, he brings us that peace of heaven. I think it was maybe about a year ago that, uh, you know, in America here, we were all a little bit on edge because of uh, the guy in North Korea and his nuclear missiles, right? We were hearing reports that he has these armed missiles and they're aimed at America and they can easily reach the coast of California. In fact, even in Hawaii, they mistook something and, and thought that a missile had been launched and, and the alarms went off in Hawaii and people panicked. And it was a false alarm. But since that time, we have heard that things have calmed down and that they have worked to reduce that threat. And so, you know, we really don't hear about it anymore and probably don't even think about it. We feel kind of at peace now, have some security. In a much greater way, you and I have that peace and that security with God. God does not have his wrath aimed at us. He only comes with blessings. And so that's a reason for us to cheer, to rejoice. Do you do that now? Well, sure, we're in church. Well, what about later today? What about tomorrow? What about in a week, in a month, and so on? 
Are you remembering the peace that you have with God? You know, life sometimes isn't so cheery. Sometimes it has its troubles, its, its hardships, its problems, its challenges, and that kind of wears us down. But the truth is, none of that can change the peace we have with God. None of it can change that relationship. And so we need to keep the cheering ongoing. We need to make our welcome of Jesus with his peace a lifelong thing. Now back then, they gathered on that street in Jerusalem and were welcoming Jesus with celebration. Today we don't do that. We don't stand out here on Santa Teresa Boulevard doing it. We come in here, though. This is where Christians gather together to worship God in his house, to have him come to us in that word and sacrament, to gather to sing his praises. So make it your lifelong commitment to worship God regularly. And it's not just here on Sunday morning, but it's when you go out there too, with your life, with your words, with your actions. Do them in a way that they are pleasing to God and bring glory to him. Keep that welcome going. Now, as we recall that first Palm Sunday, and as Luke was talking about it, we also recognized there was a second way that people were welcoming Jesus. Listen to what Luke said. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. They didn't like what the people were saying. And instead, we would know, we know that they went on to, to jeer Jesus, to criticize him, to complain about him. And why was that? Because they were disappointed with him. Now, that's not new, right? We've heard this before. In fact, it was probably going on all through Jesus' ministry. They didn't like what he was saying. They didn't like what he was doing. They were the ones who set the rules, and Jesus had come and changed everything. And it was clear from their reaction to these words, which had proclaimed that Jesus is God and the King, they were very upset by that. Because this was not their idea of God or how things should be run. And so they simply rejected him. They were disappointed with him. And so would many other people. Maybe they thought Jesus was coming in now as a revolutionary to kind of change things up. And when that didn't happen, when they saw how he was overpowered by the government, they didn't want anything to do with Jesus and what he was going to do. No, they rejected him. And that's true today, too. People reject Jesus because they don't like what he stands for or what he did. They want things to go their way. They have their expectations of what God should do. And when it doesn't meet those expectations, they don't want anything to do with him. But Jesus' reply reminds us that you can't stop the work of God. Listen to what he said to them. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, 
Then the stones will cry out. You can't stop the work of God. God is intent on carrying out his plan to save us. He had promised for thousands of years what would happen, and he kept that promise. Jesus came, and Jesus is intent on carrying out that plan of God, which is a plan for you and me. It reminds us then that all of God's plans are going to work out to bless us. So you see, this rejection of Jesus was not just a rejection of Jesus. It was also a rejection of all of God's plans. Welcoming God? No. With jeers and complaints. Have you ever been disappointed by somebody? Uh, maybe it was a, a, a waiter or a waitress and you didn't get the kind of service you wanted. Maybe it was a repair person and they didn't do a good enough job. Whatever it is, I'm sure that somewhere in your life, you've been disappointed with what people were doing for you. Well, what did you do? Maybe you didn't leave a good tip. Maybe you've complained about them. Or maybe you said, you know what, I'm never coming back here, or I'm never going to hire that person again because they don't do it right. Have you ever been disappointed with God? Notice I didn't say, have you ever been disappointed by God? Have you ever been disappointed with God? That is, has he, ever, has he never met your expectations? And what did you do? Did you complain? Did you get angry with God? Did you just turn away from him and look for something else that you would, you would take care of it and see to it that it was going to go your way then no matter what? You know, sometimes we, we struggle accepting or understanding what God is doing because it isn't going our way. We interpret it as being unfair or unloving or that it just isn't right and we want it to change. Sometimes we might even just counteract against God and, and try to work against him and get it done our way. The problem is we're not seeing and we're not trusting what God is doing. He's bringing us blessings. So it's not just when things are going great, but even when things aren't going so great, when there are troubles, when there are hardships, God is still working. Don't complain against God. And don't reject what he's doing. Rather, ask for trust. And then open your eyes of faith and see how he's working and the blessings that he has laced into so many things in our life. Welcome him with trust. Now there's one more thing that we see going on here in this welcoming event. Tears. Would you welcome Jesus with tears? Listen to what Luke wrote. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. 
The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Did you hear whose tears were being shed? It was Jesus' tears. When someone cries, those tears are expressing an emotion. And sometimes that emotion might simply be fondness, endearment, concern. That's what Jesus' tears were about. Concern for the people of Jerusalem who were rejecting him. Yeah, Jesus was concerned for them even though they were going to turn against him because Jesus loves all people. Jesus came to die for the sins of all people. He wants all people to be saved. But Jesus' words remind us that not all will be, that there will be those who reject him. His words were a prophecy about what would happen a few years later in 70 AD. That the Roman army would come and destroy Jerusalem. But his words were also a prophecy of God's judgment against them because of their rejection of him. They're a warning not to reject Jesus. But the tears are his heart being poured out for us. And God still is that way today. That is, God still is concerned about those who don't know him. Peter said, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, that is his promise to come back, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Will you welcome Jesus with tears, with the concern that other people would know him and not reject him? Would you welcome him with your own tears, with tears of repentance? The Apostle Paul reminds us of what that repentance is to be like. He writes, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Worldly sorrow would be that remorse, that regret, that, oh, the this is miserable. I, I shouldn't have done this because now it got me in trouble. I shouldn't have done this because now I'm suffering and hurting this way. Godly repentance, godly sorrow. While we, we may be experiencing something directly because of our sins, or indirectly just because this world is sinful and imperfect, godly sorrow recognizes we have sinned against God a God who loves us and blesses us. But it's more than just sorrow. It's also trust. It's coming to God with tears of repentance that express trust and faith. We repent 
not because we're trying to cover up or do better. We repent because we know that God is merciful and forgives. That's how we welcome Jesus, with trust in his forgiveness. I want to take you back now to the very beginning of Palm Sunday. Remember what Jesus was setting out his disciples to do? It says, he sent two of his disciples ahead, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. He was making it very clear that his disciples had a role to play in this plan of salvation. To bring what the Lord needed. God has given us a role to play in his plan of salvation too. He has given us some instructions. He has told us to preach the gospel in all the world. To make disciples of all nations by baptizing them and teaching them. He has told us to feed his lambs and to take care of his sheep. God has given us some instructions. Several years ago when I had a call to serve God in another ministry, and as I was deliberating through it, there was a passage that came to mind, and it was this one from the Palm Sunday account. The Lord needs it. Now, I know he was talking about a donkey, and I know that donkeys are sometimes referred to as something else, but I know that donkeys are also animals for work. And while the work he was calling me to was a, was a big task, I just kept being reminded, the Lord needs it. And that's what God is saying to us too. The Lord needs you. Will you recognize that people need the Lord? And will you see what you can do to serve him? Thank you, by the way, to all of you who helped with Easter for Kids yesterday. It was so exciting to see so many volunteers, especially after last week when we had to make a special appeal for more help. You stepped up and you did it, and it was a great day. And there's lots of other ways throughout the whole year, you know, to serve God. There are different ways that we serve him, but we're all serving that same Lord because the Lord needs it. We know that in our church body, there's a shortage of qualified teachers and, and pastors. And God tells us what we're supposed to do about that too. He said, the fields are white for harvest, but the workers are few. So pray for the Lord of harvest to send more workers. That's what we're supposed to do. Pray for people who will answer that call. Pray for people who will train for ministry and encourage them to do it. And then accept how God directs his people and assigns his people. Because it's all about this one thing. So that more people will welcome him. That is Palm Sunday. Amen.